Hi, welcome to What is Wellness? I'm your host, Kristen O'Connor, and I have been a private chef for actors and athletes for the past 10 years, traveling pretty much all over the globe, (laughs) helping them achieve specific health goals or body goals. And now I am on a quest to really discover what is wellness and hear from experts in all different areas of wellness, even the unexpected ones like astrology and psychology and environmental sciences. And then, of course, the ones we would think of like naturopathic doctors, medical doctors, acupuncturists, Reiki specialists, and every single nook and cranny in the wellness space I could possibly find. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe and leave some comments. Today, I'm super excited to introduce you to Amanda Blair, a relationship coach who specializes in attachment theory and manifestation and works with her mentor's brand to be magnetic. She's passionate about neuroscience, relationships, and psychology, and she's working towards her degree in hypnotherapy. You can find Amanda on Instagram, XO Amanda Blair. Her website is amandablair.org. And her coaching page is tobemagnetic.com backslash coaching with Amanda. She is full of knowledge and will definitely help you grow in your understanding of yourself, how to take really good care of yourself and have healthier relationships with everyone else. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining What is Wellness today. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Before we get started really talking about relationships and how that ties into wellness, I wanted to kind of hear your story and your journey towards your career as a relationship coach and what, you know, sort of philosophies you kind of lean towards and, you know, what really is the backbone of how you approach coaching? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Great question. I always, when I'm asked, like, how did I get started into this? I'm always like, it's, I've been doing it my whole life. And it's really, really true. Um, I am in a writing class and that is actually how we met and know each other. And through this writing class, I feel like I'm uncovering all this like deeper stuff about me, which is really cool. And one of the things was I was writing about my mom and that we did our best bonding in the car as I was growing up and honestly still do like when we're in the car, that's like when we have all of these really deep conversations. And I was, as I was writing that I wrote in that car, I learned how to listen. And that really hit me like, wow, that is where I started doing what I'm doing, which is listening to my mom and listening to her talk about what was going on in her life and, you know, issues and problems with my dad at the time. And then various relationships throughout And it's just, I've always kind of been that person. My babysitters used to come to me about relationship problems, which was so inappropriate. Um, (laughs) And I would, you know, I would be giving like adults advice essentially. Um, And my friends have always kind of come to me and it's just always been a passion of mine because relationships were fascinating to me. Psychology was fascinating to me. The reason why people did what they did was fascinating to me. And I just loved to talk about it. And people would always say, ultimately do what you're good at, like what comes naturally to you. And what came naturally to me was talking to people about their relationships and asking them really intimate and personal questions. And I didn't think that I could do that for a living. And it 
turns out that I can and I do. And the the way that I got into it, I think it's just that deep passion was kind of like always there leading me, but I had a lot of work to do to get to feel worthy of that. And so that's really where I feel I picked up a lot of the tools and training and philosophies that I have is through my own self-healing journey and getting to a place of more security and learning about attachment theory and really incorporating that into what I do. And my whole philosophy, I guess, if I could boil it down to like a little, you know, elevator pitch is getting into a better relationship with yourself is going to allow you to have a better relationship externally, whether that's in friendship, whether that's in work, whether that's romantically and your relationship to self is the most important. So yes, I'm a relationship coach and yes, I help people get into relationships or get out of relationships or deepen their relationships. But ultimately what I'm helping people do is deepen their relationship to self because that is the most important thing. Yeah. And I think it's, it's such a complicated thing too. I remember ever since I, you know, started dating, people always say, I mean, it's just like something people say is, oh, you have to love yourself first. And I always thought, well, I do love myself. Like, I don't think, you know, there's nothing like, you know, but it's really not that simple. It's not like, oh, I love myself. Well, how do you show that to yourself? And how do you take care of yourself? It's interesting because for me, as somebody who's been interested in a holistic perspective on wellness, it really has taken me so many years of my adult life to realize how critical addressing your own psyche and the things that have built you, you know, from your past and created who you are and really accepting that leaning into it, how much that has to do with wellness in general. I really think that we, we can become well or unwell based on our relationship to ourselves and how much we've addressed loving ourselves and then the ability to love others. Absolutely. Um, what and have you seen yeah. in that space in terms of, or what is your feeling about that in terms of, you know, this idea of relationship to self and relationship to others directly impacting your state of health as a human body? I think it has everything to do with it because that you know, your relationship to self, it's going to have a lot to do with, you know, your attachment style um, and what attachment style that is. And your attachment style is going to really kind of dictate the way that you show up in the world and the way that you feel about the world and the way that you feel in relationships. So if you come from more of an anxious attachment, like I did, you are in this constant state of um, hypervigilance where you're constantly looking to all your relationships to see what is threatening them. Is there an end near? Is someone going to abandon you? Is someone going to leave you? And so when you're in that space, you're in fight or flight and your nervous system is totally out of whack. You're in that survival mentality, right? So you have high anxiety, you know, you have high paranoia, you are constantly kind of cracked out and that damages your health. I started experiencing health issues when I was 27, all around my adrenals and my endocrine system and my hormones due to years of being in such high anxiety and fight or flight just constantly. That was just kind of my constant. And that those, I, those health issues I'm still working through now um, to get to kind of a more regular, holistic, balanced place. And it's because that was, that had been my baseline from when I was very young is yeah. anxiety and fight or flight. So looking at that and dealing with it is 
part of holistic health for me. I don't think you can have wellness without looking at your mind and your mental state. Mental health is the basis of everything. Yeah. I think we all learned that this year too, the past yeah. years, because, you know, we were forced into such an unnatural situation and a lot of people were either with their partner 24 seven or isolated 24 seven. And whenever you have any kind of like external or additional, I want to, I mean, trauma is an aggressive word maybe for that, but um, I don't know, like barrier, maybe you see how much that impacts your body and, you know, your everything that you have kind of going on at baseline, if you have anxiety or you have like any mild depression or anything, when you're given that additional kind of like external door close in your face, I feel like all of that stuff really heightens. I want to learn more about these attachment styles. As you're talking, I feel like <laughs> I can relate to it for sure. I know I've felt my body have different reactions. Like the past couple of relationships I've had, I've noticed for me that I'll have a lot of sense of security and confidence at the beginning, the very beginning. And then that just totally drops off. And I start to develop anxiety issues, heart arrhythmia, palpitations, like that kind of thing of just being so anxious because there's like this lack of trust that yeah they'll stay. And I think a lot of people feel things like that, especially yeah. females, as you get older, it feels higher and higher risk. Everything does. But, you know, I don't know that I would consider myself totally an anxious person in terms of attachment styles, but can you expand on the different attachment styles that there are? Sure. And just to say, you know, what you're born with is not what you have to stay with. Our brains are plastic, meaning they can change. So you can work towards becoming earned secure and which right. is the technical term. Yeah. They do say um, they being like psychologists say that technically to actually have that title earned secure, you need to be in a long-term secure relationship to like really get there because you are co-regulating with a partner and that's helping you reach that. However, I do personally believe that there's plenty of work you can do to get yourself really close to that space. Um, you know, in your own journey. And then, you know, obviously when you're in partnership that can like take you the last, the last, uh, part, but right. attachment styles. So attachment styles basically says that the way that we attach to our caregivers in childhood will be the way that we attach to our romantic partners in adulthood and really all relationships. Um, a really important thing to note is that attachment styles are not fixed. They're really fluid. And, you can be more anxious and lead that way, but still avoid shit. And you can be more avoidant, but feel anxious. So that doesn't mean you have a fearful avoidant attachment, which, <clears throat> which is anxious avoidant. And like everyone I talked to about attachment theory is like, I'm both. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. So anxious attachment that stems from in childhood, the child, um, they had caregivers who inconsistently attuned to them. So sometimes they were attuned to them and sometimes they weren't. So Attunement is a lot different than presence and attunement means they saw your needs and they met those needs with consistency or not. So if it was inconsistent, it meant you couldn't trust that your needs would be met by that caregiver or caregivers. So that develops this sense of insecurity. You feel insecure about your place in the family, you know, as a child. And that's not something that you're super aware of. It's just kind of underneath the surface and gives to that feeling of unease. And, and so, what, what, sorry to interrupt. What would be an example of that in a parent-child's relationship and dynamic, the inconsistent attunement. Yeah. 
So it could look like a caregiver who there's, you know, a divorced family. And so one of the caregivers they only see on the weekends, but, you know, on the weekends when they get them, that caregiver isn't present um, to, isn't attuned to them during that time, right? So they can't get their attention. They're not showing up in this day and age. It would be like, you know, they're on their phone a lot. They're, you know, always have other people around. They're not getting that like true one-on-one. I'm paying attention to you. What do you need? Let's talk. Let me connect with you because kids are so smart and they just understand so much and they understand energy in a way that I think it, adults don't really process. And they, yeah, they we lose on everything. Pick up on absolutely everything. And adults don't acknowledge that and validate that for kids. Right. So it can look like that. It can look in a million different ways. It can look like a two-parent household, but one of the caregivers is just not attuning. It's like right. sometimes they're there and then they're they're kind of elsewhere other times. Right. Um, so then they learn that child will then grow into an adult who doesn't trust that their needs are going to get met in a relationship. So they feel very anxious. They feel very hypervigilant. So they're really, really focused and obsessive on if someone is pulling away, they can feel like the minute it starts to shift, which I think you can turn into a superpower, but we can talk about (laughs) later. Um, And so they'll be really attuned to it. Right. And they're also they have an excess uh, dopamine amount in their brain. So they, and dopamine is the thing that gets us out of bed. It gets us like seeking. So if we have an excess, that's going to feel quite obsessive. So it can feel like we're looking for like that hit um, of a person. It can almost be like a drug. So with someone who is more avoidant, they had caregivers who were neglectful emotionally or physically or both. And I know neglect can sound really extreme, but that can just mean the child's needs were not prioritized and instead the adult's needs were prioritized. So often with avoidance, there can be a lot of enmeshment um, happening. There can also be enmeshment with anxious. I had that myself, but it happens a lot more with someone who's more avoidant. And so they learn to suppress their needs and they don't know how to self-soothe. So it's just kind of suppressing and like avoiding it. And then also that intimacy can be unsafe and intimacy can be stressful. And so when they go into adulthood, when they get into relationships, if they have any other stress within their life, they're going to want to shut down and pull away to self-soothe. But essentially that's like suppressing, avoiding that emotion. Intimacy will feel really unsafe. Their avoidance tend to come on strong in the beginning because they're kind of chasing a high. And then once it gets real, they like, they pull back and like anyone who has been in a relationship like that will know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. We're both raising our hands. We know what what that feels like. It feels really shitty. Horrible. Yeah. It feels really bad. Um, And it's, they have actually, when they get activated, when avoidant gets activated, they have less dopamine. So they don't have that urge to go seek. It is like, that depletes. So that's really fascinating actually. So it's kind of like, it's almost like a reaction that they can't control. They can't, (laughs) they can't just like, um, someone who is anxious and not doing work on that anxious attachment can't control that response either. So it's this automatic thing. It is a deep, it's like a deeply ingrained pattern. Your attachment style starts at six months. So it is in the like the deepest recesses of your brain. So it's, you can, you can do work on it, but it takes time, dedication, and consistency to really shift out of that into more security, but it can be done. But yeah. So if you're not working on it, it is, it's automatic. You can't help it. 
right? So someone who is an avoidant attachment and pulls away, they're not doing that maliciously often. Um, they are often doing that because they can't, they can't help it. That's just yeah. what their brain is telling them to do. And then there is anxious avoidant, fearful avoidant, which stems from abuse and neglect. So that is more of the extreme on side of the attachment style, so to speak. And that is often called disorganized, which shows up as they have a hard time in any relationship, romantic or otherwise, they have a hard time regulating emotion. There's just, that's a more extreme, less people have that, but definitely people do. But again, it's like that coming from abuse, it's coming from neglect together that creates that. And then there's secure, which is a secure attachment. Not a lot of people have a secure attachment. Secure attachment means that they trusted that their caregivers would attune to them because their caregivers attune to them consistently. So it doesn't, no parent has to be perfect in order to have a secure child. It's just that consistent attunement. So that secure human grows up and trusts intimacy. They trust their own needs. They trust themselves. They trust their boundaries. They can communicate their boundaries easily and effectively. And they trust that their partner means what they say. So relationships don't feel terrifying. Relationships feel like, yeah, okay, let's do this. And if it doesn't work out, okay, let's not do this. Right. It feels very, feels very safe for them. Right. Yeah. Um, But that said, secure attachment is what any of the other attachments can start working towards. And again, that's called earned secure. So if you have an anxious attachment, you have an avoidant attachment, or if you have a fearful avoidant attachment, the, you know, that's not the end. You can work on yourself and work on the wounding and really get yourself to a place of more security. Can you, and this is probably, I don't know, probably not the case, but can you go from secure attachment to one yeah. of the other things? Because oh, I can. feel yeah. like I look at my kind of relationship patterns over the past 20 years, so <laughs> it's been a very long time, but I think about like my first relationships and how I really resonate with the secure attachment. You know, I felt completely fine. I also felt fine starting a relationship and ending it when I knew in my gut, it wasn't the right thing and completely okay with that. And then as time went by and more relationships happened that were like left scars, I feel like that has sort of shifted me and probably a lot of other people into a more anxious. I I think I resonate a bit more with the anxious attachment. We were talking about this earlier, but dating in New York city is like, it could be a whole subject in itself. Really good. Um, Bring up my personal experience. I feel like so many people that I know have had that journey of starting out with not just optimism, but feeling really secure and then going to a place of insecurity. Well, I think so it's definitely possible for someone who's secure to, to, to transition into someone who is more anxious or someone who is more avoidant, but that stems from trauma. So it's not just something that would happen from like a relationship that didn't go right. And you got your heart broken. Right. So knowing more of your personal history that I'm not going to air right now, but just knowing that, and I, I know we both know what I'm, we're, I'm talking about here that I think could have been a shift for you because That's that was true. such a major break in in all trust. Um, that is a very traumatic event. So that could have been something that shifted you. And that was the time frame, actually. So yeah, that does make a lot of sense. That's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. So something that is deeply traumatic, you know, if someone gets like some, for example, someone who is secure gets attacked and brutalized in some way, assaulted in some way, that can be something that, you know, is very traumatic and shifts them to being more avoidant or more anxious. Um, so trauma can do it. 
but someone who is secure and just has our heart broken, which is some, you know, that can happen. We're all human. We're going to feel all the feelings. Everybody. Yeah. That won't shift them more anxious or not. So it's really like the kind of the big life. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so in terms of developing this, um, you know, secure attachment style, and I know these are two totally different things, but coming from a place of being single and looking to kind of start a love relationship or somebody who's in a loving committed relationship from both of those points, how do you work on that secure attachment? Sure. So if you're single, what I would say the best thing to do is really start doing self work. And so what does that mean? It's investigating the reasons why you're doing the things that you do, the reasons why your patterns, you know, so look at, take your last five relationships, write them all down and see the common thread between them. Like what is the common thread? What's that pattern? If you're someone who is dating unavailable men and that's the pattern, you really want to break down the why, right? Why is that attractive to you? Why is that something that you're continuing to pursue? And then that will help link to if that's coming from childhood, like where was that coming from? Did you have someone who was inconsistent with you? Did you have someone that you had to earn their love? You had to perform for their love, you know, that you had to be more, or you thought you had to be more than what you were. Like you want to start peeling that apart and then doing the work to um, heal that. And I think the best kind of like work to do that is reprogramming your subconscious. And that is something so beautiful that we know how to do with hypnotherapy. I work for, or I work with rather a brand that specializes in manifestation, but really what it's about is reprogramming your subconscious brain. It's called TV magnetic. And we have things called DIs, which are deep imaginings that are self-hypnosis is essentially that you're led through that helps you get into your subconscious brain and really pick out the things that you don't want, the limiting beliefs, like unavailable equals love and to put in the thing that does available equals love. So in in doing that again, that takes time and dedication and consistency. You don't like just do it once and you're like, I know I was like, sign, sign me up. (laughs) It takes time, but it is, that is the best way. I'm actually, I'm going to school right now to become a licensed hypnotherapist. There's so much you can do with hypnotherapy or, you know, what TBM does, which is DIs, deep imaginings, their hypnosis. That is how you're going to get into the subconscious and break down those limiting beliefs, break down those old patterns and put in the things that you want to be there. And then your conscious action that you're taking is going to reinforce um, those subconscious things that you're either already in there, right? Or when you're starting to do the work and really break those down, the new beliefs that you're putting down and reinforce those. So for example, you know, if you are kind of figuring out, you're like, hmm, I'm really not like liking the way that my love life is going and Mm, this person is unavailable and I want to start working on it. And then you are dating and you meet someone who is presenting as unavailable and be, you're seeing the red flags that you've seen throughout your dating history. If you continue to go out with them, you're reinforcing that pattern in your brain. Yeah. Right. And when you yeah. walk away from that, when you go, no, this person is, is telling me they're unavailable and I'm going to walk away. You are reinforcing those new beliefs. And to be clear, it takes time to get even that space that you have the opportunity to walk away because you need to create space in your brain in order to have that option. Because oh, yeah. Again, I mean, you have to, yeah, I mean, you have to have the space in your brain and the bandwidth to actually go on the dates and like, you know, start that process. It's so interesting because 
I, as you're talking, I'm like, this is kind of how I talk to people about food. And, you know, the fact that when you're making changes with your diet, you, it really is about creating those patterns and creating habits, just saying no to the things, you know, aren't good for you. And I find it really easy to do that. I don't, people say all the time, like, Oh, how do you avoid that or this? And for me, it's just what I want. I know how good I feel when I eat the way I eat. So it's not even a question, but in relationships, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, when you start to know how good you feel, when you're with somebody who's available or you're with somebody who treats you well, or, you know, makes you a priority, those things are then reinforcing that in your brain. And yeah, yeah. You're proving to yourself, like, yeah, it is a process. That is, that is a process, especially with dating. Like you have to really become aware first and foremost of the patterns you have to do, start doing the work around them. And then once you start doing the work around them, you're going to what we call in TBM world, run into the fire, which is basically like learning that lesson. So you're watching yourself kind of do it. And you're like, <laughs> this is so frustrating because I'm watching myself do this thing. Um, but that is what is really teaching you. Cause then you're like, okay, I understand that this, this red flag means X, Y, Z. So for example, for me, I learned many times in a row that if someone is newly out of a relationship, They are not ready for a new relationship and I do not date them, but I had to learn that over and over again and get my heart broken so many times. And now if I meet someone and they're like, oh yeah, I'm like, you know, two, three months out of a two-year relationship. I'm like, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Don't even, I do not interact with them because I know, I know, and I've learned that. So there is a learning curve. It does take time. There is a process to it, but it is a really rewarding process when you, start to see that shift within yourself. And when you start to show up differently, like the way that I show up in dating now, oh, I am just like so deeply proud of myself all the time. Like, I'm just like, you fucking go (laughs) because now I can show up in a way that I want to, I can show up in a way that I know my worth. I know what I want. I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel a need to make myself small. I can easily communicate. I have boundaries. I communicate them and it feels so powerful to have access to this and to that part of me and to show up in this way that I've always wanted to. So for anyone out there who's like in it and going through it, it's worth it. The other side is so worth it. Keep going and seek support because you deserve it. Yeah. I think that's such a huge thing is that you can absolutely feel it. and, And it feels so much better to know how to have healthy conversations and to know Exactly. I think knowing your own worth in a conversation saying, you know what, this isn't something that I'm here for. I, you know, I totally see where you're at, but it's not where I want to be. And so it just doesn't work. I mean, and I think a lot of people get to the point where there's just fear that comes into play. It's like, oh, if I lose this person, that's it. There's no one that's the end all be all of anything. And that's low self-worth. That's your, the way that you're thinking about that is from a limiting belief that you have from childhood somewhere that, you know, if you weren't getting your caregiver's attention, who wasn't consistently attuning to you, that you were going to die. Like that's where that comes from. Right. Because if, when we're kids, if we're not getting our needs met, death is on the other side of that because we are pretty helpless at that age. So it, your brain still associates that same thing with, Oh God, if I'm not going to get this person, it equals death, but it doesn't. 
Yeah. We'll be okay. But we have to understand the underneath. We have to understand the subconscious to really get in there and be like, oh, that's where that is so that you can do the work to pluck that out. And then, you know, do the work to realize that you have all the worth that you need the maximum amount. And then I think there's some people that also feel that kind of sentiment, but in the opposite way, like if I do let myself be with this person, then I'm going to dissolve kind of yeah, that's avoidant. Right. Intimacy is unsafe and intimacy is stressful. Right. And yeah. that is not true either. Right. So if someone is out there feeling that way, you can get into, I, the, my perfect example of this is one of my friends, Salwa, who is also a coach with me at um, TBM. And when she, her and I, before she got into a relationship, she's avoidant. And we were talking about, I was like, tell me your doubts or fears about relationships. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, I want alone time. And if I'm in a relationship, then like, I'm always going to have to be with that person. And I was like, no, you'll date someone who respects your alone time and who also wants their own. And you can communicate that, that to them and you can get as much time as you need to yourself and you can still have a healthy partnership. And she was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And Revolutionary. So we, right. We just like broke down all of these doubts and fears she had around intimacy because again, she had that underlying like intimacy is stressful, intimacy and unsafe from what she experienced in childhood. And breaking that down was really helpful for her to see like, Oh, like all of this is a choice. So I don't have to get into a relationship with someone who is going to be codependent with me. I don't have to get into a relationship with someone who's going to overpower me and try to manipulate me. I can be in a healthy partnership where I can easily communicate my feelings and boundaries and needs. And that partner will meet them with love and respect. And it doesn't have to be this engulfing thing that, yeah. And it shouldn't be, I mean, to be completely honest, like that, that is the healthiest relationship for two individuals to be individuals, but also be able to support each other and meet each other where they're at. I think that's, and and is that that interdependency? So that interdependency means you are an autonomous being who understands you are responsible for your own fulfillment and happiness. And you can lean on other people because we are relationship animals. We need, we're very social and we need support, but we know that we're responsible for our autonomy and our happiness. And you want to find someone else who also understands that. So you can have this interdependent relationship. Um, and that is absolutely possible when you're doing the work to make yourself find that attractive, because when you're in one of these attachments or one of the three attachments that are insecure, oftentimes someone who is secure will be like, (laughs) boring. See ya later. New, no. uh, because you're used to a trauma bond. So you're used to like the dramatic up and down the like, blah, 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 blah. Is it not right? And also fucking media has only put out there that a trauma bond is what we should hope for. The, like the butterflies, the drama that like the, you know, that spark, the passion. And if you have butterflies, that's a sense that that's actually means you have fear about that person. You have fear about (laughs) their pattern that you're running into that reminds you of something in childhood that didn't feel safe for you. So that's not something that we want to go after, right? That like lust in the beginning is lust. That doesn't mean anything that's meaningless, right? So there's all of this stuff that media has also portrayed to us. Like this is what love is that isn't right. Um, There's, there's a lot out there that we have to kind of like break down. I call it Disney princess brain (laughs) a lot of the time, you know, that like fairy tale syndrome. Right. And having to be rescued and all that crap. That's not really real Or to have this like intensity, right? Like love at first sight. When I met them, I knew I I don't really 
buy into that always. I think that it's what I'm always wanting my clients to do is slow down in the dating process so they can really understand who that person is and lead with the emotional connection. And it takes time to get to know someone. It takes time to understand someone. And if they are emotionally available, and if you guys connect on a deeper level, if you look at life the same way, if you want to build the same things from life and it should take time and that's okay. And you want it to kind of be slow and steady and consistent. And that isn't going to feel like, you know, this huge rush of intensity. And that's good. That isn't going to be the thing that ultimately when you're moving into that secure place that you're going to be wanting, we we're going to want that like really consistent, secure partnership. Is that really why this secure attachment is worked out best in a coupled relationship or not worked out best, but you know, how you can really achieve that last bit of it, because we've been talking about the different attachment identities and how even as a single person, we can work towards secure attachment. But then once you're in a relationship with somebody, how do you continue working on secure attachment in that dynamic? Relationships are the place that you practice it no matter what. So even if you're single, you're practicing it with your friends, you're practicing it in work, you're practicing it with family. So showing up securely with all of those, right? Because we can be like anxious and love and avoid it with our friends. Right. Right. So the, it can show up in different ways, um, in different parts of your life. You know, you can be like really anxious at work, but like more avoided in love. So it's understanding if you're single, like there's a million places to practice that because we don't live in a vacuum. We're always interacting with people and people are a mirror. And so when we're in relationship, that is where we do our deepest work because we're getting mirrored back constantly. Like, Hey, this is how you feel about yourself. And this is how you're showing up. So in relationship, you are able to practice all of the things that you've been working on. If you were like single and working on yourself, then you get to put into practice um, with someone, right? So you get to practice boundaries, speaking up about your feelings. So if you're avoidant, what you're really working on is One, attuning to what you feel. So paying attention to, I am stressed out versus you're stressed out, you're not realizing it and you shut down and pull away from that partner, right? Mm -hmm. It's really tuning in of like, I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Hmm, where am I overworking myself? Hmm, where am I not self-caring? So it's checking in with that first and then being able to verbalize that and be vulnerable with your partner. I'm feeling really stressed right now and I need extra support. Can you do X, Y, Z? And being able to communicate a need or boundary or... I'm feeling really overwhelmed and I need a day to myself. Does that work? Can we pick like a day that works for the both of us where I can, you know, go sit in the park for the day, whatever it is. Um, And if you're more anxious, it is also attuning to your feelings and communicating them, but communicating more of your needs. So a lot of times anxious will just assume that their partner is pulling away and it's because about them. So it'd be checking about that. Hey, I'm feeling this. I want to check in with you what's going on um, and just saying how they feel. I'm feeling like X, Y, Z is happening. I need X, Y, Z. This is like X, Y, Z boundary. And the more, or, you know, the more you're able to do that with your partnership, the more secure you feel within yourself, the more secure you feel within the partnership. And both of you get to grow from having that mirror to do that with. So relationships are always our deepest growth, whether that's romantic friendship or family, like you can have deep growth within any of those relationships and you want deep growth in all of them. We don't just focus on romantic. As you were talking, I was thinking about how many times, not just in my last relationship, but every, almost every relationship I've had where I feel in my head that I'm like begging the person that I'm with to tell me what he needs. Like, because 
I would so much rather be able to, if he needs space, go for a walk, do whatever I need to do to give him that space rather than not know that you can't, we can't read each other's minds and, and like sit around or try to like help them in the way that I think is helpful. Because honestly, like we are all individuals and what we need is only, I mean, you can have experience with someone and anticipate their needs, but truthfully, like it's all just in our own heads and in our own experiences. And the biggest relief for me is friends, boyfriends, whoever, parents even to just share that with me. Like I'm feeling, and, and I think there's a huge separation, which you were starting to talk about between having a need that has nothing to do with the person that you're cohabitating with, or just like in any kind of relationship with and how they sort of bleed into each other. So if, if I'm, you know, interviewing for a job and I'm super anxious about that job, and then everything is sort of making me on edge and I don't share that feeling with whoever I'm living with, then all they see and all they receive is this like super anxious, irritable, on edge human being. And they internalize that as like that being the reaction between the two of you. So I find that really interesting. And I mean, it's, it's in some ways it's super obvious. Like we have to be our own individuals, acknowledge the things that are going on in ourselves and share that. Like, so what are some really good communication tips and strategies that you can offer people regardless of the type of relationship they're in? Cause we're all in relationships, whether yeah. we're honestly the, like the number one book, I think everyone needs to read is nonviolent communication because oh. it really helps you understand how to communicate nonviolently. We often don't realize that we're using really aggressive words. We're using you statements versus I statements. Um, so learning, reading that book and learning that kind of language is really helpful for all relationships and conflict and just also helping prevent conflict. Um, I think understanding what boundaries are is super important. So oftentimes when my clients come to me, they're like, yeah, and I set this boundary and like, blah, blah, blah. And I told them that they couldn't do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, well, nope, that's not a boundary. Uh, we don't control or <laughs> You're controlling them. Yeah. Someone else's behavior that is control and manipulation. We don't do that. I- a boundary always says, this is what I'm going to do to protect myself. So for example, you're in a fight and your partner slams the door. Your boundary would be, hey, when a door gets slammed in a fight, that really scares me. So if that happens, I'm going to leave because I feel unsafe. And then the partner can be like, okay, I, I didn't realize that. Can we talk about what, you know, can we talk about that? I don't want you to leave. Okay. Then I need you to, you know, we can, can we talk about ways to express anger that feels safer? Right. Like I'm angry, I'm frustrated, whatever. So always, this is what I'm going to do to protect myself. Um, that's what boundaries are. So often if some, you know, if someone is like trying to tell you what you're doing or what you're not doing as their boundary, that is not what they're trying to control and manipulate. (laughs) Right. So oftentimes we're just doing that out of, we think that's what boundaries are. And we just have the skewed version because that's what we were taught. So there's no shame in that. Just, you want to pay attention so that you can start to shift that. And then just communication, honestly, communicate that let's start there. Let's just actually communicate, start speaking truthfully about what you feel and what you want and what your boundaries are. And often a lot of people have a hard time with that because there's a lot of codependency and people pleasing that runs rampant. Like people don't want to say X, Y, Z. For example, I had a friend 
was coming into town and asked to stay with me and I wasn't feeling good about the friendship. And so I communicated that I was like, Hey, I don't feel good about our friendship right now. So no, you can't stay with me. Wow. Yeah. I would have, I I'm such a people pleaser that I would have such a hard time saying that. Right. And I had already got, I had gotten to the point within my work that me being uncomfortable in the moment of communicating that to a friend and the possibility of losing that friend was so much less to the uncomfortable feeling that I felt being untrue to myself. Yeah. I did not feel safe having that friend in my apartment. So I was not going to have that friend in my apartment without a conversation first. And it led to a bigger conversation and it led to us have a deeper healing. And if I had just said, oh, sure. And then had her there and like deeply resented the entire time she was there, that's super unfair. Right. And it would have put all of this like more pressure on the friendship and the relationship. And a lot of times when you're communicating, it is going to be uncomfortable when you first start doing it. And you don't always say like the good things, right. You have to tell someone like, what do you think? Like, yeah, I I don't, I don't think that relationship is healthy, but I love you and I support you or whatever it is, you know, no, you can't stay at my apartment. And, but learning how to really get to be that your discomfort is more with being untrue to yourself than making someone else uncomfortable. I feel like that is the real like win. Um, Glennon Doyle has a quote that says to disappoint other people more than we are disappointing ourselves, like always disappoint someone else versus disappoint you. Yeah. Uh, Because you want to stay true to yourself and your needs. And when you're doing that and you're filling yourself up, you have much more to offer those within your life. You have more availability and you can trust your yeses. And so can they, right? There can be no intimacy if you don't know how to say no. And I think that's actually more fair to other people too. I remember as a little kid, I was definitely shy as a little kid. And I also was just always a natural people pleaser. And I remember my mom saying to me, you know, don't say yes to that birthday party. If you feel uncomfortable going, like if you feel uncomfortable going, just say no, right off the bat, don't tell them yes. And then cancel last minute. Cause that's actually not nice to you. And it's not nice to them. You know, right. it's going to make you feel anxious between now and the birthday party. And right you know, that bleeds definitely into life. I think it's very difficult to, to be able to really say, no, this is how I feel. And this is what I need. I think that's incredibly difficult for a lot of people. Yes. But that's like the good work and getting to a place where that becomes easier and easier is where I want all of my clients. Like I want all of my clients and well, everyone really to be able to tune in and be like, Hmm, I feel this way and I'm going to communicate that and I'm going to be vulnerable. Like, you know, for, oh, this is a great example. So um, I was talking to a client and they were talking about a relationship and they wanted to, they were feeling really anxious about it. So they just outright ended it. And I was like, next time, what I want you to think about, I mean, that person was unavailable, so it was a good thing. But what I want them to think about is instead of just jumping to, okay, I'm going to protect myself and just end this. I want you to say and be vulnerable. This is how I feel. I really like you. This is what I want. I would like to see this turn into a relationship. What do you want? Yeah. And check it, communicate. Right. Right. Because that helps you feel more confident in doing so. It makes you realize once you do it, that it's not going to kill you. You might feel uncomfortable, but it's just a feeling and you can process and handle feelings now as your adult self. Right. So we have to really step into that place of, I am going to allow myself to feel and it's okay if it's uncomfortable. That's okay. It's not a big, it's not a big deal. It will not kill you. 
I mean, and if you're in a relationship with somebody who's avoidant or anxious and you're either more secure or working towards being more secure, is there something that you can do as a partner to support that person? Well, I think making sure if you're doing the work, making sure that you're getting in partnership with other people who are doing the work. Right. Right. Cause it's going to be really hard if like you're working on yourself and you're really growing and your partner's not, that's going to, there's going to be a big disconnect there. So, and if they're not willing to period, right. that's yeah. really hard. So yeah. first and foremost, make sure that's happening. Um, and then within that, I think it's communicating and being really honest and really, um, transparent. So if someone is more anxious, being really transparent and honest with them about everything, you know, like I had a bad day. And so, um, I need a, I need to go home tonight. Um, but I will call you in the morning and we can talk about it and then being consistent and following through and calling them in the morning. Um, if someone is more avoidant and they're communicating that they need, you know, they need a day to, process something or they just need like an hour to go be by themselves to allow them that time. Yeah. And, you know, but again, you want to be with someone who's able to on either side of that communicate. Right. Cause right. if you have an avoidant, who's like, just pushes you away and doesn't say anything. Right. And then, That's and then comes back and says like, Oh, well, you know, comes back and that after then feeling better, but never explained or communicated what that absence was the emotional absence. That's And this may sound controversial a little bit, but I think sometimes honesty can be used a little bit as a weapon, I think as under the guise of honesty, like, oh, I'm being so honest. So that makes things okay. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I used to do that. Uh, I'm thinking of this one particular relationship in my twenties where I was at this time, very unavailable. I was just out of a breakup. Honestly, I was like off of like five breakups. Cause I had just been in like relationship, 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 relationship. And, um, I was really still like hung up on that last relationship and I met someone new and they were into me and wanted to date. And I was like, sure, I'll date you, but I'm like not over my ex-boyfriend and I don't want to be exclusive. And we, you know, we were in a year long relationship and he also ended up moving to New York for me. And I did not want to be with him when he did don't date me in my twenties, moral of that story. And <laughs> I had two people move to New York for me and I broke up with both of them. Oh my God. So I was not in a good place in my twenties. Anyway, um, so I really hurt him and I was always like, I'm being honest. So I don't understand. I was being honest somewhat, but I wasn't also hearing him and acknowledging what he wanted and what he was going through. And now if I was like, for example, met someone and they were like, I really like you. Um, and I was like, I don't, I wouldn't be like, well, I'm being really honest. And so I'm going to keep pursuing that person. Right. Right. Because, right. It's, they're giving well, because if your out. actions don't match your words, right. then, exactly. then that honesty doesn't mean anything. Like right. if you're being honest, like, oh, I don't want to be in a relationship, but then you're constantly like acting and being a re- like in a relationship with that person, you're like, <laughs> that's not honesty either. Well, you have to, yeah, I think the more like kind of like the, the depth of that is you need to be honest with yourself and you need to want to have integrity so that your actions are aligning with your words. And then both people have to really hear that. So if someone is well, like, I don't want to be in a relationship, but they are showing up in this way that you're like, well, they do because they do X, Y, Z thing you're not listening to what they're saying either. Right. And that's what I was going to say too. 
that falls on you. And, and to be honest, it falls on those two guys to do the work for themselves as to why are they accepting something that isn't yeah. really what they're look what they're apparently looking for. Cause if you're in a place where you're ready to move somewhere for somebody, that's, that means you're like, you know, you're obviously really ready for a true relationship. And if that person, if, you know, you're turning around saying to this guy, well, I don't want to be in a relationship and they're, yeah. yeah. But it- yeah. But at the same time I was doing the, like acting like I was, you know, right. like, so it, it the whole thing was just, a just mess. super complicated. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I think you have to be honest with yourself, um, within that honesty and then, and communicate in a way that is, you know, integrous. I think that people can use honesty as a weapon. I think that's very true. I think people, yeah. Can. So what are the just like three things that you've seen work really well with yourself or clients in terms of self-care, in terms of self-love? If we're, we had this whole conversation about relationships and relating to other human beings and ourselves, but now, you know, what would be the takeaway for people listening to start to really turn around and look inward and say, well, I am going to do that thing where I figure out how to prioritize myself, care for myself so that I have the ability to then invite other people into that love and caring self circle. (laughs) I think therapy or coaching, investing in that it's so, so important. We all need help. We all need assistance. Um, we can't go through this alone. So investing in that, um, and being consistent with it and then learning boundaries, (laughs) learning how to say no and learning your boundaries is so fucking important. Like if, that's the only thing you do that will get you very far. Um, because that will back end you into like so much worth if you can start to learn how to say no. And when you want to say no and saying no, um, and three, the last thing, learning to be really patient with yourself and learning how to detach from the how and when of things, because that is none of our business. The how and when something comes through is always the universe's business. And our business is our why and our worth. And so really learning to tune into that, like, why do I want this thing? And making sure that's an alignment. The only way it wouldn't be is if you were doing something in order to prove something to someone else. If you just want something, you're in alignment. Um, But the worth, like, where are you trying to get your worth met externally? Where do you feel unworthy of the thing that you're wanting? And really doing the work around that to make sure that your worth is in alignment with whatever, whatever it is that you're desiring, pulling your focus out of like, but how is this going to happen? It feels impossible. It's none of your, it's not your business. So don't, don't worry about it. The universe will bring it to you in like some cool, magical way that is getting a little bit into manifestation, but, and then like when something comes through, that's also not your business. You can't control that. So if you're controlling that, or you're trying to, you're in fear, you're, you're in control and you're out of your foundation and you're out of trust. So you're, you're in a place where you're just going to be in a stalemate. So you have to keep your focus on you and your worth. Cause that's what you can actually create change inside of. I mean, the more work that I do, the more I think it's such a gift. The, every individual on planet earth, as we get older, every year we encounter new things that not cause problems, but just create more dimension and complexity to who we are as individuals. And the more we have support to really work that out is just such an invaluable gift to how we relate to other people, ourselves, and then boundaries, being able to say no. And really, I think that comes down to actually understanding who you are as a person and what you want 
And I think that that's something that is very, very hard for a lot of people to figure out because there's so many external pressures to be and do certain things. And when you can really be, and that kind of leads into your last point, which is really about letting go, surrendering to the fact that we don't have as much control as we think we do. And externally, we don't have control. Yes. We have it internally. Right. And so it's really, and that's not to, people can take that also like in a dark place, but that's (laughs) looking at where, where you're out of your worth and like really focusing on that. Because you can't control anyone else and you can't control like what's going on in the world. No, all you can really focus on is you and the way that you're showing up to things. So, and there's a lot of magic that could be happened there. So focus there. Makes a lot of sense. And I feel like that sort of answers my last question for you, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Okay. According to you, Amanda, given your unique background and experience, what is wellness to you? Wellness to me is when I am doing all that I can to parent myself in a really loving and tender way. And I am following through on my word to myself and I'm being as authentic as I can and whatever that means in any given moment. And I'm honoring myself and my needs above all else. I love that. I want to write that down and use it as wallpaper in my house. (laughs) Honestly, imagine if you woke up every day and just saw that plastered around your house, you'd have a really good day. It's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Cause that's really where peace comes from. And I think that's the most important thing. It really is. Well, thank you so much for being on what is wellness. I really appreciate it. This was so fun. I would love to come back. Happy. Yes. You have to, I want to, I want to have you on and really get in, dig our heels into dating in New York city. We have to, I'm sure we both have tons of stories. (laughs) I'm not sure everyone wants to hear them, but yes. (laughs) Are you kidding? That's what everyone wants to hear. I love That's true. That's true. (laughs) Watch out men. Watch out. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, watch out men also do better. Yes. Also do better. better. Yeah. Please do better. better. Just step it up, grow up. Yeah. (laughs) We're pretty awesome. So Work, We're work pretty it awesome. Out. Work it out. Yeah. Meet, our, meet our level. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, you're amazing, Amanda. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Amanda. And thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe, share with all your friends and family and every human you meet. And tune in next time. Have a great day, everyone.